Today we start a new sermon series entitled All In. I feel like I've been all in this morning. We uh, had four baptisms uh, at the beginning of the 1045 service, so I went over there and put the little robe on and and then uh, ran over here and uh, I think I'm on my third mile already today. But anyway, it's all good. The next five weeks we'll be talking about who we are, how we live, who we're with, and what we do. All in. This morning, who are we as a church here at Mount Horeb? Who are we? You know, we're worshiping in two facilities, something we've never done before. Traditional worship is going on as we speak. Trevor's over there preaching in a robe. It's a miracle. (laughs) The last three years have been quite a journey. And this church has been blessed by many of you going all in in this incredible building project, wonderful, outstanding leadership. So many of you have been all in in the above and beyond capital campaign. Who are we? We're a church full of faithful and generous disciples that are committed to Jesus. I want to thank all of you for inviting Jesus to use you so this facility, this new campus, can be part of a tool to change the world and reach this community for Jesus Christ. Now, what we're excited about all of this, this new facility, this, these new children's rooms, these new nurseries, we must never forget our mission as a church. I want to be clear this morning that Mount Horb does not exist to make more Methodists or to make more church members or to build bigger buildings. Who are we? We're a church that declares Jesus is the son of the living God. Amen that Jesus is the son of the living God. We're passionate about making, maturing, and mobilizing disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Now, what does that look like? It's a church where seekers can meet Jesus, a place where they can experience God's love and find new life, new direction, new purpose in him. Mount Horeb is a place where believers find community with other Christ followers and grow in their faith. We want you to to find a community that you can come alongside other folks who are wanting to know more about Jesus. Mount Hope is a place where disciples are mobilized to serve God by serving others with their gifts and talents that God has given them. A place where disciples go and make disciples. A place that is prayer-driven a place that believes there is power when God's people come together to pray and ask God to move in mighty ways. I believe that our identity is defined by our passion. Our identity is defined by what we're passionate about. And I'll be clear at Mount Horb, we're passionate about declaring that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the son of the living God, Jesus Christ. Now, when I say the following names, though, What's the first thing you think of? How about Michael Phelps? (laughs) A lot of gold medals, right? How about uh, Adele? Hello. (laughs) I won't sing that for you. One of my greatest uh, role models, how about Billy Graham? What, What do you think about when you hear the name Billy Graham? How about Simone Biles? What an amazing young woman who uh, performed in the Olympics. 
And then there's that guy named Ryan Lotke. Made a mistake. But haven't we all made mistakes here? Haven't we all messed up and said some things, done some things we wish we wouldn't have done? And you may not know this name. Some of you know this name. It's one that uh, I sometimes go by, J-Paul. J-Paul. If you don't know me, that's my new identity. I'm passionate about being a grandfather and about being the best J-Paul I can be. You see, the things that we're most passionate about become the things that define us. The things that we love the most is what we're known for. Now, one more name. The name above all other names, and that's Jesus. When you hear the name Jesus, what do you think of? Now, Jesus defined his passion when he said, I am the good shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep, willing to die for God's people. Jesus described himself as the door, the bread of life, the way, the truth, the resurrection, and the life. Jesus Christ was defined by his passion and by his mission. So this morning, what defines you? What are you passionate about? Is it your children, your spouse, your grandchildren, your portfolio, your favorite football team or basketball team? You know, in Kentucky, we have to skip football season and talk about basketball. You know, there's nothing wrong with us being passionate about those things. There's nothing wrong with us loving those things as long as being Christ followers, they don't define us. As Christ followers, those things should not define us. Our relationship with Jesus Christ should define us and determine then how we handle the rest of the things that we love. And God has blessed all of us with so many things that we're called to love. But let it be defined by our relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus asked his disciples a loaded question. A question that all of us here have thought about, and maybe some of us have uh, gone to our Facebook page and tried to determine, what are people saying about me? What's the word on the street? Jesus said to Peter, who do people say I am? And the crowds, after hearing Jesus preach powerful sermons, watching him perform amazing miracles, they were saying that Jesus was John the Baptist or Elijah, or Jeremiah, one of the famous prophets, they believed that Jesus must have been resurrected as a prophet of old. These, the, the crowd and the people of Jesus' time believed that he was a righteous man. They believed that he was a holy man, but he was still a man. And they didn't believe that he was God. What about today? What's the world saying about Jesus? Now, the Barna poll says that 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person, that he was a good man, that he was a great teacher, but only 56% believe that Jesus was God. Only 56% believe that he was God, while many believe that he was a teacher like Buddha or Muhammad. Now, 150 million Americans say they have professed faith in Jesus Christ. I would wonder today how many of them are all in. How many of them truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God? 
Now, what does Peter say to Jesus' question? I believe that Peter gives one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Say that with me. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, we are called to make that declaration as Christ's followers, to declare with our mouth that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Christ here means anointed one. Peter is saying that Jesus, I believe you've been set apart. You, you have this unique purpose. You have this unique mission. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Now, Peter didn't fully understand what all that meant, but he's affirming that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. What we believe as Christians, as Christ followers here at Mount Horeb, that we believe in God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is God in the flesh. As Jennifer read for you the passage, Jesus didn't rebuke Peter. He didn't correct Peter. Instead, after Peter made this great declaration of who Jesus was, Jesus blessed him. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. It's my prayer this morning that our Father in heaven will reveal to you who Jesus is. I can't do that, but God can. I can be a spokesman for God this morning. I can stand here and preach, but God's Spirit will reveal to you who Jesus is. And when God's Spirit reveals that to you, it'll change the way that we live. So what do you say this morning? How we answer that question determines how we follow. If we believe that Jesus was just a good teacher, we'll follow him like he was a good teacher. We'll try to read some of his words and try to say, this is, this is good, I need to try, to try to do this. And we'll struggle with that. This morning, if you believe that Jesus was a good example, you'll try to follow his example and be nice to people and be kind to people. Try to love your enemies, but it's going to be really hard to do that. But this morning, if you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, that Jesus came to save you from your sins, to defeat death, and to reign and rule as your Lord, it'll change everything about your life. You'll begin to be transformed by his power living in you. C.S. Lewis, the great apologist, was asked how to define Jesus, who he was. And part of what he said, he said, you can shut Jesus up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. You've got a choice. You can spit on him, you can shut him up, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. He goes on to say, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He didn't leave that open to us. That's not an option. Jesus is either who he says he is or he's none of what he said. I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God. I declare that to you today. Now, many here today believe in Jesus. Many here today are true disciples of Jesus. And some are here trying to figure that out. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Now, I believe there's a difference between being a believer and a disciple. A believer is someone who believes in Jesus, who may or may not be a part of a, a small group or a Bible study or attend church regularly. 
A believer may or may not study their Bible. They may or may not pray. They may or may not serve in the kingdom of God. But a disciple, somebody that's all in, is a little different. I love what William Barclay wrote, who's the great commentator on his commentary on the book of Matthew. He says this, it's possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. To be a camp follower without being a soldier of the king. To be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. It's one of the supreme handicaps of the church, he says, that in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus and so few real disciples. So few real disciples. So today, who do you say Jesus is? What does your life reflect about what you believe about Jesus? So as we think about this sermon series, kind of defining the pathway of discipleship for this church, what does a disciple of Jesus look like? What's a definition of a disciple? I love this definition. A disciple is a student of Jesus learning to live their whole life under the rule and reign of God. A student of Jesus learning to live their whole life under the rule and reign of God. You know, in the Western world, when we define a disciple, we think of a disciple as someone who knows what the teacher knows. In Jesus' world, in the Middle East, a disciple does what a teacher does. In fact, Jesus, when he was concluding his great teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke these words. He said, any person who hears my words and puts them into practice, who does what I say, is like a wise person, a person who builds their house on a rock. And when the storms come and the winds come and the rains come and the floods come, that house does not fall because it is established and built on a rock. But whoever hears my words and does not do them, does not put them into practice, is like a foolish person who built their house on the sand And when the rains came and the floods came and the wind beat against that house, it did not stand because it was built on sand. This facility here, I believe, is built on a solid rock. Amen? In fact, if we could peel back this floor covering, you would see underneath this floor and this concrete floor, and many of you came and and put Scripture on this floor, wrote the words of Jesus on this floor, wrote the words from the Old and New Testament all over this floor. And some of you know exactly where you uh, wrote it because now you're sitting pretty close to it. Say, hey, we're going to sit over here. This is where I wrote my verse at. You see, we want to establish what this ministry is totally on the words of Jesus and not just read the words, but begin to live the words. So what does a disciple look like? I prayerfully begin to ask some of our staff and some of the people that I've run into and had, had a chance to, to, to work alongside with. And over 22 years here, There's been been some amazing disciples that have served in this church. Men and women and young people and children who have stepped up to the plate and demonstrated that they're truly sold out, all in for Jesus. It's a young mom with two toddlers who's dropping her kids off at McKids or a Mother's Morning Out program. The young mom who's overwhelmed with feelings of fatigue and feelings of failure. But, but another mom comes and listens to her 
and reminds her of God's promises in Scripture. And then says, can I pray with you? And then promises to come alongside her for encouragement. It's a man in an accountability group that notices one of the men is kind of drifting away, running hard after their career, neglecting their family and neglecting their faith. And he calls him up and says, hey, we need to get together. And they get together and he reminds him of what's important and speaks God's love into his life, gives him some perspective and then prays with him and promises to keep praying for him. It's one of our business owners in the church that texted me last week and says, hey, I'm going to be in Durham. And I know Pastor Faye's up here and, and Mike, her husband, in the hospital. What hospital are they in? And can you give me your phone number? Because I want, to, I, want to, I want to go by and see her. And he stopped and got flowers and took flowers to Pastor Faye, and then he prayed with her. That's what a disciple looks like. It's those 30 leaders that show up every week to enter into the life of an at-risk child through our 1010 Bridge after-school program, modeling for those children the unconditional love of Jesus, coming alongside those children to meet their physical and emotional needs. It's a wife who mentors, mentors a child at school for five years, investing herself completely into a disrupted, dysfunctional family, brings all three children to church here every week, carries the children to the doctor, makes sure they get enough food to eat, all because she saw children in a family who needed to know Jesus. That's what a disciple looks like. A retired couple who serves Jesus in prison ministry. A single woman who lines up weekly transportation for a single mom without family here in South Carolina who's getting ready to go start chemotherapy. This same mom starts a singles mom Sunday school class and co-facilitates that, facilitates that class every Sunday morning. It's a young mom who is in the drive-thru with her children and there's a guy behind them laying on the horn gesturing madly about them hurrying up. And as the mom pulls up to the window, she says to the to the person there taking her order, I want to pay for that person's meal behind me. And as they drive off, her young son says, Mom, why did you do that? And the mom says in a discipleship moment that because that's what Jesus would do. See, it's just the, the day-to-day stuff where we invite Jesus into our life, into our cars and into our calendars, into our schedules. It becomes a way of life, all in for Jesus as I thought about all those stories and countless thousands of others, just amazing stories of many of you as I look at your faces and you've served on committees here and you've, you've uh, been in small groups, you've, you've served in children's ministries. There's so many blue shirts out here serving in children's ministry, discipling children, youth workers, volunteers, so many people. What are the common denominators of a disciple? What is the common denominator of all those people that I just named, those stories? I believe they're all in. And I want to give you this morning uh, an acrostic, if I can do that, to kind of help you remember what it means to be all in. So the first letter is A. These people I've named today, and many of you in this room, have answered the call. You've answered the call. Answered the call to follow Jesus. And you can't be a disciple if you haven't invited Jesus into your life. 
You can't be a disciple if you haven't answered the call. Yesterday, I was, uh, Lynn and I, our next-door neighbors, were having a Sunday school party, and uh, so they invited us over since we live next door, and we said, sure, we'll come over and eat some of your food and hang out. Got to meet, meet some people, spend some time with people. And one of the ladies said, I've been praying about where to serve at Mount Horeb, and, uh, and God has called me to serve in sixth-grade ministry. I'm so excited to serve in sixth-grade ministry. You see, she heard the call, and she accepted the call to be all in, to, to, to lay down their life, her life, and follow Jesus. You've got to accept him to be a disciple. Secondly, L, is you've got to learn from Jesus. You've got to be learning. You know, if we're not learning, we're not growing. Growing in our understanding of who Jesus is. Again, sensing the Holy Spirit leading us to serve and to give our time and our effort with sacrifice and a joyful heart. You know, learning that none of us have arrived yet. Uh, I love this statement. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Can't you all relate to that as a disciple of Jesus? I'm not where I want to be, where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. God is changing my life. The next letter is of all is L again, and it's love like Jesus. To be all in, to be a disciple, and the common denominator I see is people love like Jesus. It's not about being a religious nut or offering some sad and somber sacrifice. All in is learning to love like Jesus loved. And that's challenging, to love like Jesus loved. When Jesus was asked what is, what, what's most important, he took the Ten Commandments, which are pretty important, and kind of summed them up with these two commandments. From Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul and what? And all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend what? All the law and the prophets. You see, learning to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul, and then learning to love our neighbor as ourself. See, being all in is learning to love like Jesus. It's accepting his call. All in is about love. I love what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.8. He says it for people like you and I who didn't get to see Jesus here on the earth. He said this, though you have not seen him, and none of us here have seen Jesus, though you've not seen him, yet you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's what a disciple does. Loves Jesus, believes in him, has a joy that's inexpressible and is filled with the glory of God. You know, whenever these people share their stories and when I hear these stories, there, there's a sense of joy about loving people the way Jesus loves people. You know, loving and enjoying God. as a disciple. Loving and enjoying God. Serving and reaching people that God loves. I believe with all my heart that the motivation to go all in for this facility here was love. It was love for the people that God was going to bring here. Love for the people in this community that need to find Jesus. 
You know, even out where Lynn and I live, out toward Gilbert, um, just this week they knocked a bunch of trees down, which means they're going to build some more houses, which means my road's going to get a little busier, which means that there will be more people that we get to reach for Jesus. I've learned when I'm sitting in traffic in Lexington, instead of fussing, I start praying. And I'm thanking God for these people that God has brought to this community so that they can hear about the love of Jesus. Will you stop fussing and start praying? Praying for the people that God has put all around you, all around us to love and to reach for his glory. A motivation to build a space that was safe for children. A place for a youth to come and grow up in the love of God. And today you're here. Have you answered the call to follow Jesus? Are you learning from Jesus in community? Are you loving like Jesus? What about in? Let me give you in real quickly. The first letter is initiative. In order to be all in, we've got to take the initiative. And why do we take the initiative? Because God made the first move toward us. Aren't you glad? You didn't make the first move toward God. God made the first move towards you. God's spirit whispered in your spirit that you needed God in your life, that you needed him in your life. I love what uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. You know, salvation wasn't your idea. It wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's taking the first step. You know, Jesus gave the great commission to the church. He said for the church, Mount Horeb, churches all over Lexington, all over the world, to go, to go and make disciples. Of all people, baptizing them, teaching them in Samaria, Judea, Jerusalem, all over the world, to go. See, these people that I read the stories of this morning, they all took the initiative. They stepped out, and they went, and God used them in a mighty way. We must go to our neighbors. We must go to the town of Lexington. We must go to the Midlands. We must go to our state. We must go to places like Louisiana. We must go to the world. You know, I love this example of a disciple. It's uh, some of our high school students who left this country for the DR. And there in the DR, they experienced a community in need of a savior. And these students committed to invest time and energy and resources to provide a cafeteria for a Christian school so children can have a place to stay all day eat a hot meal and learn how to become lifelong followers of Jesus. Those are your students right here. Going, taking the initiative to come back. They didn't come back and go, well, that was a good trip. But they said, what can we do to change the world? This place would not be here for us to worship in this morning had so many people not taken the initiative. A step of faith. You know, we got to be intentional about that. It means we got to invite others into our lives. We got to invite others into our families, into our friendships, into our hobbies. And then we got to invest in people. 
We gotta, we gotta invest some time in people. We've gotta invest some resources in people. You know, people ask me all the time about the story of Mount Horeb and how God took a little church on the corner with about 80 people coming to worship and how it became what God's doing here today. And it's not rocket science. It's just taking the initiative to invest and go and minister to people. You know, some of you heard this story and you know, we needed a copy machine. I was, I was the secretary. We didn't have a secretary. We didn't have a copy machine either. And uh, so the pastor would go to Kinko's and we'd run the bulletin. Remember those days going to Kinko's, run the bulletin? And, 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 but yet I wanted the church to invest in a, in a uh, student minister. And the church said, we need, a, we need a copy machine. I said, well, we need a student minister. So we were back and forth, copy machine, student minister. Well, I lost and we, we got a new copy machine. It was great. I didn't have to go to Kinko's anymore. But Lynn and I and some others, my wife and I and some others felt, hey, we got to invest in student ministry. And so we did. We, we, we got some people together and we raised some funds and we, we, we hired our first part-time student minister. We invested. We took the initiative. I love what the church leader said at that time, 22 years ago. They said, well, if this works, we'll cover it next year. <laughs> well, praise God it worked. Amen? You know, we took the initiative and, and God moved in a mighty way. Invest. At the close of this service, as you leave, we're going to do a special offering. It's going to go for the people in Louisiana. The same people that probably invested in us. That took the initiative to help us when we went through a great flood here last fall. But what's the last word? I really prayed over this word. It's hard to find a good N word. But I found one. God gave me one. And it's really two words. Is you never finish. You never finish. We never finish. We never finish learning about Jesus. We never finish loving like Jesus. We never get finished. You know, when this building was getting finished up, I thought, oh, I'll take a break. But that hasn't happened yet. Why? Because we never get finished. We just keep, keep reaching people for Jesus. It's what we do. It's like raising a child. You know, raising a child, and there's that day you hope, you pray, that one day they may move out. <laughs> and they're going to launch them. But you know, it never, you never finish. Because you keep loving them. You keep supporting them. You keep encouraging them. You keep being friends with them. And sometimes they even come back home, and that's okay too. You see, God has never finished with us. There's nobody in this room that's where they need to be. God will always bring new people into our lives, into our church, who need him. So who does Jesus to you? Who is he? Is he just a good teacher? Is he a good, a good example? Or is he the son of the living God? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Father God, I pray that you would speak through your Holy Spirit. Reveal to everyone in this room who you are. Lord, take these words and take this worship and help us make a decision to go all in, to accept your call, to answer your call, to begin to learn about you, to love you, and to love others the way you love, to take the initiative to go and change the world. Lord God, speak to us so that we never get finished doing your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.